All right. Well, good morning. <laughs> Lots going on as we transition from summer into school starting. So that's to try to get you up to speed. And if you missed that or want more detail, like she said, go on to our website and you can find out all that's going on this uh, fall. So let me ask you a question. How many of you are going to go out to lunch today? I'm not looking for a free lunch. You can relax. If you're going out to lunch today, let me encourage you that we do have a Thursday service. A couple of weeks ago, we gave this invitation out and want to encourage you to always have one of these so, because when you go out to lunch, it's quite likely that the person who is serving you at lunch today probably couldn't get to church because they're serving you. So if you'll take an invitation, tell them about a Thursday service, who knows what the Lord may do with that. So you can grab these at the Impact Gazebo as you head to your cars uh, after the service today. All right, so let me make a request. Can we turn the house lights up in here? As I hate to talk to people I cannot see. That'd be great. Thank you. So... Uh, and you'd like to see your... Hey, how about that? Good morning. <laughs> Would you turn in your Bibles now that you can see them to Mark chapter 4, please? And, and we're going to look at a, a last verse in Mark chapter 4 that we didn't look at last week. If you missed last week, it was Jesus in the boat with his disciples. They had been on one side of the Sea of Galilee. They're headed to the other. Jesus, long day of ministry, falls asleep. Disciples, not so much, especially when the wind kicks up so severely that it cr creates waves, that the waves are literally crashing over the boat. The boat is filling up with water. Now, if you're in a boat filling up with water, well, what would you do? You would try to get as much water as you could. And so some asked last week, do you think the disciples tried to bail out the water? Well, of course, folks. Oh, no, look, water, we're sinking. Oh, no. No, if there's water in your boat, you try and get it out. But they can't keep up with the amount of water that the waves are putting in. And so they begin to panic. And they wake Jesus with this question. If you were here last week, remember what it was? Don't you, what's the word? Don't you care that we're going to perish? Don't you care that we're drowning? And Jesus, awakened from his sleep, doesn't speak to the disciples. He speaks first to the wind. He says, hush. And to the waves, be still. And the wind stops and the waves stop immediately. And then with the disciples' hearts still pounding like, whew, we survived. We're not going to drown. Jesus then speaks to them. And this is what he said from Mark chapter 4. Uh, and he said to them, why are you afraid? Uh, drowning, that's why. That's why we're afraid. But then he says this, do you still have no faith? In other words, if you would have faith in this moment, you wouldn't be panicked. You wouldn't think I didn't care. You'd wake me and say, Jesus, we're going under. But faith removes panic. Faith deals with the fact that we do trust that he's caring. And so Jesus says, Don't you, do you still have no faith? Well, what they think back is this. They became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? After all that they had done, that Jesus had done, that's the, who is this? 
And so I want to look at verse 42, which we didn't look at last week. And they came to the other side of the sea, and Jesus said to them, I have done all that I can with you, but I've obviously chosen poorly. You are too dense and hard-hearted. Please go home, and I'll choose 12 different disciples. How many of you have verse 42 in your Bible? <laughs> Thank you. This is a time I don't want to see hands. Yes. If you don't bring a Bible, this is an encouragement to you. I actually made that verse up, and I made it up for a reason. We rightly so are often challenged and encouraged and strengthened by what Jesus said. Sometimes, though, I am encouraged by what Jesus didn't say. And what he didn't say is, all right, you guys are out. We need a new team. Uh, you know, sometimes we say that to ourselves. We think, I'm such a loser spiritually. I just can't seem to get it. I go out, leave the chapel on Sunday, and I'm encouraged. I think I'm going to do better, and I fail again. I, I feel like I should be further along in my faith than I am. And we say stuff to ourselves that Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, Look, done with you. Let's try somebody else. Let's try the backups. Jesus says, I want you to experience my grace. Have you experienced God's grace? And I don't just, I don't just mean in your salvation. That's grace. God giving you eternal life when you and I deserve eternal condemnation. But having been born again, have you experienced God's grace, God's patient enduring with you as at a point in your life you should be living by faith, you shouldn't be panicking, but you still are, you're still worried about stuff that you think, I've seen the Lord provide. See, Jesus extends them great grace here. And I want us to remember that we, we, are children, sons and daughters of a gracious God. But, but in the midst of his grace, still wants us to grow in knowledge of him and trust of him. Because when I read, Jesus says, do you still have no faith? I get that he's thinking 18 months in, I would think you'd have faith now. But I also get, and this is challenging to me, that less than 18 months from that moment, here's what he does say to them in Matthew 28. To these guys who he said, where's your faith? He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Paul's right there. You understand what I just said? To the guys that Jesus said, do you still have no faith? Within 18 months, he's going to send out to be the instruments through which he is going to change the world. So, hope you're capturing what I'm saying. Is God gracious with us and God patient with us? Yes, in far more ways than simply our salvation. He's patient with us in our growing in faith, but never mistake his patience in growing for faith with the fact that he is not wanting us to grow. God is taking us somewhere. 
God is wanting to work in your life, in your marriage, through the circumstances that he allows to come into your life. He is using those so that you'll grow in faith. We use seven words here at the chapel that are pretty important to us. And they are growing, fully devoted, uh, spirit-empowered Christ followers. Growing, fully devoted, spirit-empowered Christ follows. We call that our purpose statement. If you understand, we didn't just make that up. You understand that that is what Jesus is doing with his disciples. You see that? That he is growing them. He started a relationship with them and he is growing them. He's halfway through, if you will. And he's saying, there are still places in your life where there is no faith. But watch, 18 months from now, you're going to be the agents through which I'm going to change the world. I have no idea what the Lord's going to do in your life or in my life 18 months from now. It's kind of wild to think about. I do know this, that what he intends between now and then is for us to grow. How? Fully devoted and spirit-empowered in our following Jesus. It's about growing into who he's made us to be. And so this morning, I'm simply going to, uh, well, first of all, you like your message memo? <laughs> One big blank. And somebody at first hour said, man, I got it memorized already. So <clears throat> they didn't say that at the end. So turn it landscape from portrait, if you will, and you'll fit it in there better. Here is, here is the journey that Jesus has us on in growing, fully devoted, spirit-empowered Christ followers. The scripture says every one of us begins a journey in a, a coffin. It all begins in a coffin, and it begins there because Ephesians 2, chapter 1, Ephesians 2, verse 1 says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So we begin the journey dead in sin. That's why we use this coffin, a casket. It is a challenging reminder that when people in our culture say, well, everybody's basically good, that that's actually not true. Everybody is created in the image of God. But created in the image of God, but separated from him at birth. Everybody is not basically good. Everybody is basically dead in sin. But what are we talking about today? God is gracious. We encounter his grace. So Ephesians 2 states that reality, but it continues. Go down to verse 4. But God... Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were what? Yeah, dead in our trans transgressions, that's dead in sin, made us alive together with Christ. Go on. Uh, by grace, see, not what we deserved, what we didn't deserve. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So every single one of us, 
When we were born, we were born dead in our sin, but God intended that we would be raised up. That we'd be raised up from dead in our sin. And raised up, uh, not reworked, not just remodeled. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that he has been raised up through what Christ has done, he is a new creation. That song, Living Proof, to, that we would live lives proving that we have been made new. That we're a new creation. Old things pass away, new things have come. And so we are raised up from a coffin, dead in our sin, to a crib where we are new creations, we are infants in Christ. From dead to alive. But we begin as infants. In fact, that's a great picture that Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says this, 1 Peter chapter 2, like newborn babies long for the pure, what? Milk of the word. Like newborn babies, like infants in Christ, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Uh, Lord gave us a, a great privilege. Wednesday night, our third granddaughter was born. There's a little Piper Roots, born to our oldest, Clayt, and his wife, Roxanne, Wednesday night down at Baptist South. Here's what's cool. Well, what's cool is we have a grandson coming next month as well. So we're up to, we're going to have four grandchildren, uh, three grandchildren born in four months. So uh, what's awesome is this. When, when Piper came home yesterday, we moved our last child into campus housing, college campus Friday, and the, then Tommy left Saturday, and so we are official empty nesters. Yes. I know some of you are going, they're coming back. But last night, sitting at uh, Clayt's house, holding Piper, he says, you know, Dad, you realize this is the generations passing, that, that the day you became an empty nester, we brought the next generation home to our house. That's a great picture for the church, folks. That's what God's intending to do here. With, with seeing people who are Dead. See, that little girl is born Wednesday night. She is dead in her sin. We're praying that by God's grace, she'll be raised up and become an infant again, but an infant in Christ. Now, the, the scripture says that she will long for the pure milk of the word. As an infant now, she wants milk every two hours. And she's got some pipes on her. Piper's actually a good name. She came out wailing, screaming big time. But that's the hunger we ought to have for this. Because this is, this does what? This grows us up. See, we're to be raised up and then we are to grow up. To grow in respect to salvation. To grow up. 
always important as we think our own journey with Jesus is this. Everybody starts as an infant, dependent upon others, dependent upon milk. Everybody starts as an infant. Nobody is intended to stay in the crib. No one's intended to stay as an infant. Every infant physically and every infant spiritually is intended to grow up, to move from the crib to what I would call the table, where you have chairs at the table. Now, here's what that looks like. Ephesians chapter 4 describes it this way. As a result, we're no longer to be what? Children. See, it's good to be an infant and then a child, but it's not good to stay as an infant or a child. We move from infancy to childhood to Adulthood, he says, as a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. In the way that you and I can imagine, a little children in the surf at the beach getting pounded and knocked over by a wave, he's saying that's what happens to little kids spiritually when they hear at school or they hear in the neighborhood or they, they hear on in the media of different ideas that sometimes will knock them down. And so we're not intended to stay as children. We're intended to, what? Grow up toward adulthood. And here's what he says. He continues on. But speaking the truth in love, we're to, there it is, grow up in what? All aspects. Do you grow in some ways and not other ways? Spiritually, I find that to be often true. Some people grow up in certain ways spiritually. They may grow up in learning to love the scriptures, but never grow up in learning to serve. Others grow up in serving, but they disregard the pure milk of the word. Some of us grow up in terms of serving one another, but we don't grow up in terms of engaging with those who are still dead in their sin. Do you see? All of us grow in different ways. But it says to grow up in what? All aspects. Into him. See, he's the standard. We aren't the standard. I'm not the standard. The elders aren't the standard. Jesus is the standard. We're to grow up into all aspects, into him who's the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, now watch, being fitted and held together, every person around the table being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. Go on. According to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Look up here. See, what's happening is in the crib, it, an infant doesn't get out of the crib. An infant waits for somebody to come to the crib and change them, to come to the crib and to feed them, to come to the crib and to help them, to come to the crib and pick them up but not at the table. Moving from infant to maturity is to move from saying I'm totally dependent to I love you and you love me. And I serve you and you serve me. And I pray for you and you pray for me. It's mutual 
relationship. That's what God intends us to be growing up into. Can I make it very practical for us? When you first come to Christ, it's very natural that you're dependent for other people to teach you, to help you, to bear your burdens, to carry you, to feed you. That's where we all start. That's where none of us are intended to stay. You're intended in this body to grow up so that you're not only served, but you serve. And you're not only prayed for, but you pray. You're not only helped, but you help. You see that? The, the, the goal is that we would move from a crib to a table, from infants in Christ to become family, and here's the key word, contributors. That we become family contributors. From dead, raised up, to infant, to grow up, to become family contributors. Mutual life. And this, this is so awesome. This is so sweet here. Because actually, Jesus says, hey, you know how people are going to know you're my disciples? It's that you have love one for another. Who are you loving in this body of believers? Not who's loving you. I hope that's true. Who are you loving? Who are you serving? Who are you praying for as people are serving you and people are helping you? See, it's intended to be a family where every joint, every individual part, no, go back, sorry. The proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body. Do you see this? Don't miss this. Individually, you growing up is absolutely necessary for this body to grow up. If you don't grow up, we can't grow up. Each individual part doing its part for the growth of the body, for the building up of itself. And so this can seem very, very much the goal, but it's not. And here's why it's not. When we said Jesus in the boat said, where's your faith? They were 18 months in, but they had 18 months to go. And at the end of the 18 months, what did he say to him? Now, Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You see what he's saying? As sweet as this is, as sweet as this is, we can't just be raised up, born again, grow up, infant to a family contributor. There is a final stage where we must learn to get up and go. To what 
we describe here as the stove. Where you become, what Jesus told his disciples, a disciple maker. A disciple maker. That's the full journey. I went, I was dead in my sin. But by God's grace, I was raised up. By God's grace, I grew up. And by God's grace, I get up and go. And lo, I'll be with you always. Now. Let's be clear. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm getting up and I'm going into the kitchen where the stove is. Um, no, yes, you are going to the stove, but going to the stove looks like this. Watch. He said, I want you to get up and uh, go. Where? To those who are dead in the sin so that they might be raised up. Get up and go share the gospel. Uh, and I want you to get up and go teach them all that I have commanded you so that they would grow up. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, going into the kitchen is not going, doing, going to the stove is not going somewhere away from people. It's getting up and going back to people who were, are where you once were, where you were dead in your sin, but you were raised up, where you were an infant in Christ, but because other people got up, you grew up and get up and go to the table. Why, why would I go back to the table? I would get up and go back to the table so that those who are at the table would get up and go <laughs> as well. Here's this picture. Paul says, old pastor Paul says to young pastor Timothy, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men. What's that mean? Faithful, those who have grown up, who are at the table, entrusted to these so that they'll be able to get up and go and share it with others. In case you missed it earlier, what this is revealing is what we're experiencing in our family. Mul to what? Multiplication. This is, God intends to be working. Where, where, what's he going to do in your life in the next 18 months? I have no idea how he'll do it. But I do know this. He intends to be growing you to be fully devoted, spirit-empowered Christ follower, which means he is intending to grow you to become a multiplier. One who gets up and goes to those who are raised up, to those who need to grow up, and to those who need to get up. Now, as I was teaching Thursday night, Here's what I realized. Those at the table don't want to get up and go for, one for a couple of reasons. Why? Because dead people are scary. The longer you've been alive, the more dead people seem scary to you. And what's wrong with these people? They stink. Don't, don't they? Don't infants stink? 
You know what's the worst part about their stinkiness? They don't know it. You ever noticed a one-year-old isn't going, oh, stinky, stinky. A one-year-old's happy as a lark, and you're going, ho, 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 that's ruining it. I don't want to get up from the table and go back here because that stinks, and I don't want to go back here. That's scary. I want to stay here because this is sweet. <laughs> and if you can't handle the heat, get out of the kitchen, so this is sweaty. So if you get to be pick between scary, stinky, sweet, or sweaty, where do you tend to go? Oh, I take it right here. And that's exactly where most churches folks get stuck. It, hey, you can be here, but a lot of people think, oh, this is maturity right here. We're serving one another. We're loving one another. We're caring for one another. The problem with that, don't miss this, the problem with getting stuck here is if you get stuck here, multiplication dies. When we get stuck here as a church, get stuck here, only caring about one another, only hanging with the people that we love to hang with, never willing to go back to those who are dead, never willing to go back to those infants who stink, just stay right here at the table, pull up a recliner, get a lazy boy, then multiplication has died. And what's Jesus growing us toward? Fully devoted, spirit-empowered Christ followers. Those who, like his disciples, who will get up and go. And that going, don't misunderstand me, that going, I'm not saying only to India, though that's a place to go. It might be over to the children's building. It might be down to the junior high and multiply disciples down in junior high. It might be going back to your work tomorrow morning with a multiplying mindset. One of the questions I am often asked is, um, so do you have to be mature the whole way here before you can serve or be used by the Lord in any way? And that's not true at all. Can an infant in Christ be used of the Lord? Yeah, absolutely. And can I show you how? Let's practice this. We have church on Thursday. I know that was very difficult. It takes a lot of maturity there, so. We have church on Thursday. You still didn't get it, did you? No, I'm just playing with you. <laughs> Sorry. You understand what I mean? That, an infant, you don't have to go, well, I'm just new in Christ. I can't be used the Lord. Yes, you can. Infants can have the privilege of immediately being used of the Lord. Now, can a new believer train a maturing believer how to get up and go? No. But that doesn't mean you can't do anything. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, Ephesians 4, and we read through it. Let me tell you, there were three essentials that Ephesians 4 talked about. It said, speak the truth in love relationships and each individual part working according to how God has made them for the building up. So on this journey, 
wherever you are, there are three absolute essentials for you to not get lost in your life. Truth. This is a truth environment. Coming on Sunday morning, we open the scriptures. This is a truth environment. And I hope you are seeing that it's an important part of your growth. This doesn't have to be the only truth environment. Throughout the week, you can read the scriptures. That's a truth environment called a quiet time. We have equipping classes. Those are truth environments. Speak the truth in love, in relationship. We do not become mature in Christ outside of relationship. Two greatest commandments. Love God and love love others as you have been loved. That requires relationship. And then serving. I think most of us can look back in our educational experience and go, there's only so much you can learn in the classroom. Did you not start your first job and think, wow, they didn't teach me this in school? (laughs) Yeah, there's some things you can't learn in the classroom. There's some things that you can only learn once you get on the job. And I can tell you this. Some of the sweetest truths, sweetest truths, say that five times fast. Some of the sweetest truths about God, his sufficiency, his faithfulness, are only found in serving, not in Bible study. Oh, I can tell it to you in Bible study. I can tell it to you in a truth environment, but you'll only know it when you serve. That's why Ephesians 4 says if we're going to grow up, we need truth, we need relationships, we need serving. Are all those aspects in your life? Because something I've learned as I've walked through this process with folks is that for each one of these growth steps to take place, there has to be a funeral as well. There's a funeral that has to happen before you're going to be raised up. And that funeral is this. Well, go to Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works. So if a person is going to be born again, they're going to be raised up in Jesus, there must be a funeral to believing my conduct will save me. Now, I, I mentioned that. I put this up here for this reason. That's the funeral that so, may, so few people are willing to attend. The thought is, well, if my sin has separated me from God, then my good will work me my way back to him. Bad people are the ones that God hates. And so if I'll be a good person, my conduct, I'll go to church, I'll be a better parent, I'll stop cussing, I'll start doing good, then I'll be saved. And the scripture says that's a lie, that you can only be saved by dying to the mentality that your conduct will save you. It's by grace. Remember, this is how we started. 
All of God's work is a matter of grace. So we must die to conduct. What do we have to die to in order to grow up? Well, there's a dramatic difference between here at the crib and the table. And the death is a death to a consumer only. When Peter writes the believers there, he says, 1 Peter 4, as each one has received a special gift. I love this next word. What is it? Employ it. If you're born again, if you've been raised up, even when you're in the crib, God's given you a gift. And he says, put it to work. But we have a bunch of unemployed believers. And I don't mean in the marketplace. I mean in the kingdom of God. Who are not serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, but are, what? They are only consuming as wasteful stewards of God's grace. It's God's grace not only that you're raised up, it's God's grace that you've been given a gift so that you don't have to be a consumer, that you can grow up to pull up a chair at the table and say, I have been gifted by God to organize, to teach, to counsel, to serve, to help, to lead. God has given me gifts. And when I don't pull up my chair to the table to serve, I stay here. Every single person that grows up has to die to, well, this church is just about me. It's what I can get out of it. It's what it does for me. Now, don't misunderstand. We are consumers. We're not consumers only. We are consumers and, that's why that's the key word there, we're family contributors. Have you died to a consumer-only mentality? Or is church really only about your preferences and what you want? We won't grow up into what Christ has for us when we are stuck in a consumer-only. That's a death that we have to die. So what's this funeral here? Since we've talked about this is the so easy place to get stuck, what's the death that we have to die to be able to get up from the table? You're thinking it's got to be a C. You're right. Yeah, that, that helped you. You weren't thinking it had to be a C. <laughs> to die to comfort. That's why we get stuck at the table. It's comfortable. It's people we enjoy hanging around with. It's, I serve as I am served. It's comfortable. It's not stinky. It's not scary. It's not sweaty. It's comfortable. And we will not watch become multipliers apart from dying to comfort. Paul says, as he writes the Thessalonians, he says, having so fond an affection for you. It, the, by the way, pause for a moment. Look up here. Paul's writing to them 
thinking back to when he had left one city and gone to Thessalonica, to a new city. He had been, watch this, he had been at one table in another city, and he got up from that table in another city and went to Thessalonica. And he said, having so fond of an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Because you had become, notice that tense, you had become very dear to us. Nobody starts very dear to you. I think... Oftentimes, we get stuck here at the table and we don't go back here because these people are scary and so we stay away from them. But my experience is this. If I'll go back past my fears and in faith and engage with those who are still dead in their sins, they become dear to me. They're only scary from a distance. They're actually very dear as you get to know them. funny how a mom will love the stink. I spent 12 years plugging my nose. <laughs> because, of, literally, because of the stink. I have a weak stomach. It was like <laughs> so I had to plug my nose. Terrible. They are dear to me. Worth it. That's what happens when you spend time with but when you get stuck here, these people won't be dear to you. It's because you don't know them. If you'll go to them, they'll become dear to you. That's what happened in Thessalonica to Paul. Go on. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, how's that for dying to comfort? So as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God. Go on. How devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting, that's sometimes uncomfortable, and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. Next. So that you would walk, don't miss this, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Do you understand, don't miss this, why Paul said, hey, I'm at a table here enjoying the people that I'm at in another city, but I'm going to get up and go to those who are dead in their sin in Thessalonica. Why did he do that? So that they would be raised up, right? Partially. Not only so that they would be raised up, but they would, yeah, come on, that they would grow up. And having grown up, they would get up, that they would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you. See, the worthy, if you and I, don't, this is not nebulous or cloudy or fuzzy. If we're going to walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls us, we're going to be kingdom multipliers. And that's why he went. Not just so that they would be raised up, yes, but they would then grow up and then they would get up and that's exactly what happens. Thessalonica then becomes a multiplying church and participates in helping Paul reach other people. That's the goal. You see, when, I, when, I, when you look at this, you may go, man, it's just, you want us, you want all this from us. No. I want this for you because, oh man, I hope you'll catch this. 
Because the way God has created you and I in his image is that life, life as God intended us to live it, is fully experienced in multiplication spiritually. That's life at its fullest. Life at its fullest, what I want for you is the privilege is to be living your life, seeing all that God has in front of you and glancing in the rear view mirror of your life and seeing not in your past just a bunch of stuff, a bunch of plaques, a bunch of success, but to look in the rear view mirror of your life and seeing dead people alive and babies grown up and people getting up and multiplying themselves. Do you understand what I'm saying? Life as God intended you and I to live it, what we are so much for is for the privilege of dying to the lesser in order that we might gain and enjoy the greater. And the greater is a life full of people. Who's in your rearview mirror that is alive in Jesus because you crossed their path? Who's growing in Jesus because you said, I'll take the stench? Who's getting up and multiplying because you said, Man, I want to share with you the incredible privilege of not just living for you, but living for others. This great moment in John chapter 12, Jesus says to his disciples, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and what? Dies. What happens to it? It remains alone. That tells me, don't miss this, folks. That tells me, unless you die, there will be no multiplication and you'll be alone. You'll look in the rearview mirror of your life and there may be lots of experiences, lots of stuff, lots of things, lots of successes, and no people. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But... If it dies, much fruit. And I think all of us want a fruitful life. A rearview mirror filled with people alive and growing and multiplying. Don't you want that? Don't you? I do. I want that for you. Not from you. I want that for you. No greater joy than a life multiplied. No greater sorrow than a life that dies alone. What a waste. And so, I hope you see where you are, where your next step would be, And maybe most importantly, what do you got to die to to be fruitful? Because that's what we want. Father, 
thank you for sending your son to die in order that we might live. I pray that we would be a church, a people, who joyfully lay down our lives to become multipliers. Lord, if there are any here this morning still dead, I pray that you would open their eyes, that they might run out of that grave, be born again. And Lord, those who have been born again, I pray that they would find truth here, relationships here, a step of serving here, in order that they grow up. Love the table, Lord. It is sweet. And I pray that you'd get us up. We'd become multipliers to the praise of your glory and the fullness of our joy. Would you work in our hearts, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, next week you're going to arrive on campus. There's going to be a big ministry fair out in the courtyard. It's a ministry fair for you, for you to to find out where you can find places for truth, relationship, and serving so that you can grow as a fully devoted, spirit-empowered Christ follower. See you next week. God bless.